1: All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer Manny Navarro of The Athletic. It is Thursday. It's around 4.45 p.m. here on February 17th. It's been a while since we did our uh, last uh, podcast. It was an interview actually with our Michigan uh, beat writer talking about the hire of Josh Gaddis and talked a little bit about that change, that major change. We also had a discussion about Kevin Steele, the new defensive coordinator, but lots happened in the 11 days since with the Hurricanes. There's been a few other assistants that have been added to the staff, including Frank Ponce, a Miami native who uh, was the offensive coordinator at Appalachian State. He was the play caller there this past season. He took the quarterback's uh, coach job. He's also going to be the passing game coordinator. Um, And then they also hired Jamil Adai from Georgia, who is the uh, defensive backs coach for the National Championship Bulldogs, number two recruiter in the country this last recruiting cycle. So still three vacancies left on the uh, coaching list for Miami. Still don't have officially a tight ends coach. We don't have a uh, two defensive assistants, which we think will be a defensive end and outside linebackers coach. Kevin Steele is likely to coach middle linebackers. So still some things to be squared away, special teams as well. Um, but Miami's been busy. There's been coaches that have left as far as off the field type personnel um, and, and a couple of people who are going to be brought in, one of them being uh, former uh, or still until it's official, Miami Central coach Roland Smith, um, who's won many high school games. He's supposed to be joining the staff. Um, Carlos, as a fan, what, what have the last, I guess, couple of weeks been like for you? And let's start, I guess, by getting your initial reaction to some of the coaching changes since we haven't gotten your opinion on any of this new stuff.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you said it's been a long time since the last pod. I feel like I've been in the wilderness like Moses for the last 40 years. I've been on the pod like in two <laughs> months, three months. Uh, I felt like the forgotten man here. But uh, now I, I feel like Rock Kim. It's been a long time. So anyway, I, I think I think it's been really exciting uh, getting all these coaching hires one after another, especially after the fan base was so ravenous for any information on the coordinators, where Mario just dragged it on as long as possible before he dropped the bombs of Steel and Gaddis right in everybody's faces successively. So I thought it was really interesting the way things played out. I'm really excited about Josh Gaddis. I think he's a fantastic offensive coordinator. I think uh, he did a lot at Michigan last year with not as much, uh, I would say, skill position talent on the outside and the quarterback as Miami has. I think they were limited in terms of their passing game uh, because they didn't have a guy that could really push it down the field. So they relied heavily on that, their strength of the offense with their offensive line and their run game and still put up over 34 points a game, still were one of the top five off or top 15 actually 20 something offenses in the country um, made the playoff controlled games with that offense until they got destroyed in in the playoff against uh, Georgia. But um, his, his offense is very innovative and I love seeing that sort of innovative run game because Although Rhett Lashley was a great offensive coordinator and he was able to generate points here at Miami, the thing that lacked down here the last couple of years is a running game with the running backs and something that could be a little bit more than just inside zone and maybe a jet sweep here and there. And I think Gattis bringing that over to Miami and mixing that in with the talent at skill position and quarterback is going to make this offense a lot more deadly moving forward. Uh, Kevin Steele, as we know, is a great defensive coordinator. He's been around a long time. He's pretty much seen it all, which I think is very important. Uh, because he can anticipate things that other coaches might not because of his experience. Not only that, but he's a very fundamentally sound coach. And I think you mentioned on one of the pods not too long ago that uh, he generates pressure, but is like number four in in terms of least amounts of blitzes in in 2019, I think it was when he was with Auburn, uh, which is incredible, having a great defense like that and and rarely blitzing, which means his defenses are structured well, they're fundamentally sound, they get in the right gaps, and they don't have mental blowups on the back end, which cost you points. Um, as far as Frank Ponce is concerned, I think that's a home run hire. To me, I think that is the, the best hire out of all the hires, just in terms of most surprising. I didn't think Frank would leave Appalachian State in Sorry, his position as, a, as a coordinator uh, with a team like Apple, Appalachian State, who always has a chance to win their conference and compete and come back down here to Miami to be the quarterback's coach. Um, obviously, he must believe in Mario. He believes in the opportunity. And I think he's, he's going to be a great addition to that staff, pairing him with Gattis uh, because he's a QB developer and he's shown that in the past. And I think uh, what he did with Chase Bryce this past season was, was incredible. A guy was the worst quarterback. And I think an FBS with Duke in 2020, and he turned them into, you know, a very good quarterback for, for the conference, a very good quarterback in that conference uh, at Appalachian state and got a lot out of them. Um, as far as the, the other guys that die is, is a guy that's up and coming as a defensive backs coach. A lot of people see him as a uh, future defensive coordinator in the next couple of years, a future head coach down the road. Um, I think it's it's interesting that Ponce and Adair on the staff together, two guys that would probably figure to be offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators elsewhere, because it seems to me like eventually Gattis in the next year or two will probably bounce for a head coaching job. Uh, and maybe Kevin Steele will get to that point where either he gets another head coaching job or decides to retire and pass the baton to somebody else. So it's almost as if they have coordinators in waiting with those two guys, which I love. Uh, aside from the fact that those two guys are very good recruiters, uh, along with everybody else on the staff. I think it's it's an exciting time. I think Mario's putting together a great staff along with, you know, Alex Mirabal. Uh, we still have to see about the tight ends coach. Uh, Salavea is a defensive tackles coach, or if we end up with a defensive ends coach and defensive tackles coach. Um, I think it's it's an interesting staff because, I mean, aside from everything else, it must be the most diverse staff in all of college football because we've got Pacific Islanders, we've got African-Americans, we've got Hispanics, we got um, you know, angles, And it's, it's just a great mix of people with different ages and experience. And it, I think it's a great cross-section to give the, the players um, a lot of different viewpoints and give each other different viewpoints and insights to be able to come up with the best solutions and have the best exchange of ideas, as opposed to having a room made up of the same kind of guys in the same age range, same experience level. And it almost becomes an echo chamber.
1: Yeah. And, and I think more than anything, too, these are all hungry recruiters. And, and, you know, we talked about this before, and certainly it's been discussed that, you know, Mario, when he was filling out this staff, wanted to have guys that could recruit. This, You know, so much of this is about talent acquisition nowadays. We saw what Texas A&M did on National Signing Day uh, with, what was it, 300 four and five star recruits, it felt like, um, and, and a big spending budget. Uh, we saw what yeah. Alabama's done over the years, Ohio State, the teams that play for championships. I mean. Georgia, you go back to 2018 um, and you look, they had the, you know, the top recruiting class in the country. And of course they win the national championship four years later. So um, I, I just think, you know, this all really comes down to talent acquisition and then being able to coach guys up. Right. And, and I think, you know, that's ultimately what Mario's doing here with the big budget, the biggest budget in the ACC, as far as being able to hire coaches. Um, I can tell you from, from speaking to Frank Ponce, he is super excited to be back home. I know in a lot of ways, as you mentioned, this looks like a step back. He was played, you know, first time in his career, he, was, he had an opportunity to call plays as an offensive coordinator this past season. And he basically gave it up so he could come back here and be the offensive coordinator and waiting and in, in not so many words. Obviously, nothing's been promised to him. But, you know, we all know God is head coach material. And I tweeted out a, a video of him that uh, University of Miami shared uh, online of him sort of speaking to the team. And Carlos, I'll tell you, I, I, I one of the former players for the Hurricanes reached out to me and said, man, that video was so inspiring. Um, he said when Dan Enos came here from Alabama, all he talked about was how he left Alabama to come here. He said Gaddis didn't mention anything about leaving where he came. He talked about coming here and making it a privilege. And I think, you know, people talk about approaches coaching and coaching and what you get in coaches I think the certainly the way that you approach a team, your first meeting, the, the the impressions that you make initially, the the effect that it has on players is huge. And 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 Danny knows didn't work out here at Miami, he was gone after a year. Josh Gaddis may only be here a year or two at most before he becomes a head coach. But I can tell you that right off the bat, it feels like he's made a good impression on these kids. And certainly I think Kevin Steele, having the experience that he has, um, you know, everything I've heard is, you know, these guys have sort of come in and, and rejuvenated. The program along with with Mario Cristobal, just the energy is different is what I hear over and over again. The energy is different. The energy is different. Um, And I think these guys understand what what lays ahead of them. There's so much to talk about, Carlos. I sent you a boatload of like stories and links uh, before we started. Yeah, it, it took me
2: it took me six hours to get through everything you sent me before we started this podcast.
1: Yeah, I and, and I want to be able to get to all of it. I also sent out a request for mailbag questions. I'm going to get to the mailbag questions as well. But I wanted to sort of tackle the coaching aspect of this first. But there's so many other interesting stories. And, you know, my colleague, David Oven, you um, who covered Tennessee for a long time. And now he's one of our national college football writers had a really interesting story this week, which I think got the attention of the country, which was specific to Tennessee and their NIL initiative and a group of guys who have sort of become the front men to helping Tennessee recruit better. Right. And, and they talked about building this $10 million budget um, you know, where, where fans can send them money um, and essentially they funnel it to the recruits and, you know, you're a lawyer, Carlos. Um, I actually last month before I went and covered that UN basketball game, I was on the phone with Adam Arnott, who's been a guest on the show before, and I spoke to him for about an hour about NIL and the NIL laws and how it's different here in Florida than it is in other places in the governing body. all Everybody who's been a college sports fan for a long time is still sort of adjusting to this concept of NIL and how. You know, what kind of ways could you break the rules? You know, wh- what would the NCAA come, come after you for, etc. cetera? Um, this article by David Ovens, fantastic, because essentially it's these dudes <laughs> flat out saying, we're using this money to get recruits to come to Tennessee. And, th- and that's really what anybody wants these days. Okay. I know all these NIL deals were for players currently at Miami, but, <laughs> but it, I mean, this is changing the face of the game in the sense that, okay, now people are sort of, Coming together and becoming organized, the, the one rule that is still in place okay, with the NCAA, and I don't know how they enforce it is you cannot induce recruits to come to your program. But that doesn't mean you cannot talk to them about NIL. Every state is different, um, as I, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, maybe on, on one of my appearances on the Big O show. Um, you know, the Florida laws are probably one of the some of the more strictest in the country in terms of NIL laws. They, they tried to become first uh, one of the first states to, to sort of, um, you know, put these laws in place uh, when NIL became active last July 1st. Um, but in, in, in all reality, when the NCAA came out with their rules, uh, it was more lax than what, what Florida had. And so, um, you know, I think the state of Florida is in the process of sort of adjusting to some of the other states to try to help these colleges make deals. But from my conversation with Adam, uh, Carlos, a lot of what I gathered was, you know, in other states like Georgia, for instance, Alabama, companies can go straight to schools and make these sort of NIL deals and, and these packages for their players. Miami, Florida, state of Florida can't do that. Um, so you need these outside entities. You need the John um, Ruiz's, the Dan Lambert's. Um, I wrote about Dan Lambert um, last year, right, when he was one of the first people to put together a whole package for the entire team to get NIL money. Um I still haven't dug enough to figure out if there really is a quote unquote Miami initiative where you have guys like Ruiz and Lambert sort of, you know, working on their own to, to get players paid for NIL and, and, and making that enticing for recruits. But I guess from reading that story or glancing it over, what, what what's sort of your biggest takeaways? Because that is a big topic of conversation now, knowing how big a recruiter Mario Cristobal is, how hard he's going to try to bring in a top five, top 10 class next year. Um, and keep a lot of the talent home. What was your takeaway from reading that story that David Oben wrote for The Athletic?
2: Well, first of all, it's the freaking wild, wild west, which remember we talked about in the summer that when NIL passed, it essentially was going to be unless there were some regulations or anything put in place by the NCAA to sort of control it. Um, but the way it's set up now, it's just essentially, like you said, based on whatever the state rules are, anybody that's creating NIL deals for players or universities, they push it all the way to the line of wherever they can go as far as the state rules allow. And they get these guys paid, and they're some some aren't even like in this article. Tennessee's not even hiding it; they're not even on a basketball it. They just go out there and they create these collectives where anybody can participate and give money um, without really receiving a benefit in terms of a return on their investment from a advertising perspective. Because you're talking about nil, most people are thinking name, image, and likeness, uh, and they're thinking, okay, this should mean that this person is doing some sort of an advertising or sponsorship deal or doing something in exchange for that money. Uh, to be able to promote whatever product or service they're promoting and and be paid for it whereas most of the time it's just hey okay we'll sign you up here's your money you don't have to do anything for it which I think is a great thing about what John Ruiz is doing with life wallet and the deals that he's cutting is he's not only handing pl- money out to these players he's asking them to participate uh, in what life wallet does to advertise to actually use, their name, image and likeness to positively impact other people, not just from the life wallet perspective, but also uh, from a community service perspective, making sure these guys think about more than just themselves. Because at the end of the day, if you don't create some sort of uh, either contractual obligation or some sort of rules for how you're going to earn this money, it's just essentially guys getting handouts and, and getting as much money as they possibly can and becoming mercenaries. And I think creating what LifeWallet has done, and I think what John Ruiz is doing by instilling these, these virtues in these kids and making them work for it, is it's creating more of a culture of positivity around it than just that mercenary attitude, of let me get as much money as I possibly can uh, and get it from wherever I can. Because at the end of the day, if a guy ends up saying, okay, well, I'm not getting as much money as I thought it would get here, I'm going to hit the portal and I'll go somewhere else where they're offering me $2 million instead of one, then you've got essentially free, even more free agency in college football than in the past. Um, I think something at some point needs to be done to regulate it across the board because the NCA allowing the states to make their own rules is creating a competitive imbalance in the states that have looser rules as opposed to those that don't. And it's also creating a competitive imbalance for mid-majors and group of five schools and schools that don't have the money or the boosters to be able to compete with these power five schools. Um, They could just go out there and, 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 and it's almost like going back to the olden days where there was no restriction on scholarship amounts, where, where Bear Bryant will go out and recruit a guy, not because he's going to play him, but just to take him away from Tennessee, just right. because he doesn't want him on my roster. So those are the things that people are doing now with this money. And, and it's, it's great that the guys are getting paid. Uh, it's great that they're finally getting their value. I'm just concerned about this turning into more about the money than about the competition and the pride of wearing that U on the side of your helmet. I don't think it's happening so much as in Miami because the way we're setting it up right now but if the rules change, who knows? But in other schools, it seems like it's not about the school pride. It's not about wanting to play for that school. It's about, hey, how big is the check? And, and that's a little disappointing. Looking for an assist
0: with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I thought, you know, Ubbin made an appearance uh, this week on um, the podcast that Bruce Feldman um, hosts, uh, you know, for The Athletic, uh, along with Stu Mandel. And, and they talked a lot about um, just... NIL in general and how this be- has become an arms race. The thing is, you're not putting the genie back in the bottle, uh, Carlos. This is not going to no. change. And, and, and the NCAA, when they went to court over the Ed O'Bannon case, lost nine to zero. So players getting paid and how it comes and all that kind of stuff. I don't see the regulation coming down the road. It really is going to become more about uh, an arms race and how much money you can raise. In Miami's case, you're fortunate that you have some people in this city who want to see the football program succeed. But I can tell you from talking Uh, to Dan Lambert right after the end of the season when 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 the uh, former players had a huge get together remember that I wrote about it and um, Mm -hmm. you know you had Melvin Bratton there Alonzo Highsmith came out on video and they wanted to sort of this is right after the season and, and before Manny Diaz was fired and Mario Cristobal was hired and and talking to Lambert I mean there was disappointment you know the money that he forked out to try to help it was all his intention ultimately was to get better recruits here. And at that time, Miami didn't have the better recruits. So you still needed a Mario Cristobal to come in and sort of save the class. I think ultimately, while <coughs> NIL will lure people to places in the SEC who have the money, the Texas a and of the world, the Alabamas of the world, who have you know million millionaire and billionaire boosters, they're always gonna have the advantage. Um, I still do think a lot of this is gonna come down to the head coach and the way that you can develop players and 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 help them get to the NFL because there is the initial money. right? And there's going to be a lot of kids right. who, who are going to want to take this initial money and maybe pass on coming to a Miami to go to a Texas A&M and be the 40th person on the roster um, because it'll help their family immediately. But I think in the long run with the transfer portal, I mean, that's the part that's going to be really tricky. And I think the, the, the bigger story here in college football is tampering. And that's what we're going to see happen more and more. And if the NCAA is going to regulate anything, it's going to have to be tampering because once you're on a roster, OK, um, if your high school coach or your parents are negotiating a deal for you to go to another school, that's where that's where things sort of get out of control. It's one thing to, to you know, sort of pay pay kids on, on a team and say, hey, if you come here, you're going to get X and X package, right? You'll get this this amount of money. You'll get an apartment. You'll get free food at this restaurant you'll like all that stuff is good and well but in the end these players and these parents what they're thinking about is how do i get my kid to the nfl right and how do i get them to the next level and well and i think that's that's where your
2: your point about the head coach is is very important and i think it's it's being able to sell a vision that goes beyond the initial payday like you're saying and think long term right they they could see the done the money now but if you want the long money that real money that nfl money the life-changing money then you need to make a decision that's based on more than just what's this check for today. Um, Unfortunately, not everyone has that forethought. Not everyone has that foresight. Not everybody is uh, so introspective to say, you know what, it's probably in my best interest to go somewhere that's not offering me as much money, but that can develop me as a person and a player to get me to the next level to where I need to be Um, instead of taking this big check right now where it may not be the best opportunity for me to grow as a player. Um, but not everybody's like that, man. And it's all, it all comes down to Mario crystal ball and those, that coaching staff being able to sell that vision to these players, but at the same time, still having that NIL money in their holster. Cause at the very least you can't go into a gunfight with a knife. Yeah, that's gotta, not going to happen.
1: You got to have it all here. You got to have the coach in place. You got to have the money to give the players there. You can't sort of half acid. And that's why ultimately when, when Rudy Fernandez and the people at the university of Miami said, Hey, we're going to spend money on football. We have the resources. You know, we just got to get the fans to show up more consistently and sell tickets. I mean, Miami's opportunity is there. Miami's opportunity is there to compete with the big boys. You have the coach who's hungry as hell, who's going to recruit like a bulldog. um, And you've got the infrastructure now to hire the kind of coordinators and the kind of assistant coaches and people on staff to compete with the big boys. And so this story, as we cover it and it changes day to day to day with coaching hires and movement and this and that. Um, You know, the, the important thing is Miami is a player and, and we've been telling you guys that for months now and it's re- it's real. It's real based on these coaching hires based on the infrastructure and everything else. Um, if you're a Miami fan, that's what you need to be most excited about. Now, is the roster ready to win now? Are they ready to? Well, win let, me, let me <laughs> let me make one more point about yeah,
2: NIL. Let me make one more point about NIL, for which it. is interesting. The NCAA has lost control of this situation, and it's a wild, wild west. But the only person, the the only entity to blame in all this is the NCAA. Had they put into place some rules in the past that would allow players to get a certain amount of salary, $40,000, $50,000, or whatever the case may be, as a cap, none of this would have happened. But now they they kept dragging their feet. They kept staying in the Stone Age. They refused to evolve as an organization, and they kept making these kids wreck their bodies for free that it blew up in their face. And you know what? Now they're reaping what they sow.
1: Absolutely. And 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 we'll see what rules they finally come up with. Um, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle, especially after you got beat you know, by the Supreme Court 9-0. <laughs> I, don't, I think the NCAA is almost in a position now where they can't. There's nothing they can really do. Um, it's it's going to be up to the conferences. And at what point do you know, do certain schools in the SEC that are at a huge disadvantage, Get angry about this. You know, I, I to me, it's, it's all going to come down to tampering. I think the moment, you know, some of these schools start losing big time stars to a Texas A&M or an Alabama or an Ohio State, um, and it's all financially driven. Um, I think that's going to that's where you're going to see these schools start to throw a much bigger hissy fit. We saw what Jimbo Fisher said on National Signing Day, where he kind of complained about everybody accusing them of paying players and whatnot. Um, and <laughs> and this whole circus it, it, in the end, I mean, it, it, it's an arms race and you got to have it all. You got to be able to compete. I don't think we will see change until some of the other schools in these power five conferences feel cheated. I don't think they feel cheated yet because this is all brand new. This is all started officially seven, eight months ago uh, back in July and July 1st. And, you know, this is the first time we've really seen it. Now, this next recruiting cycle, 2023, is when we will see NIL sort of for a full go round, right, like a full recruiting cycle where the high school recruits now, hey, this guy got this NIL package. I want that. Um, and, and, and the state laws, right. We're going to see how those change as well. Um, at some point I'm going to see if I get Adam Arnott to join me because he is an NIL lawyer, um, and is much more in sort of the marketing field. And, and if you read this article, please do by David Oven at the athletic, uh, you can sign up for the athletic, you know, you, I think for a dollar a month, uh, through this podcast. Um, great. <laughs> and you can also do it through, uh, through Stu and um, and Bruce's uh, podcast, The Audible, uh, which is also available. I tell you guys to sign up for that one as well, as well as the Andy Stable show. Those are two phenomenal podcasts to follow from The Athletic. But um, read that article from David Oven. It's, it's really fascinating. At some point, I'll do a Miami version of that story when I can catch up with John Ruiz and, and uh, Dan Lambert and some of the other big figureheads sort of uh, handling the, the NIL for Miami, since the school cannot be involved in that process. Um, but I wanted to switch gears a little bit here, Carlos, because I've spent, you know me, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I love analytics. I love numbers. I love uh, digging deep. And so last week I worked with Grace. Like Rain- Urban Meyer. Yes, just like Urban Meyer. Last week I worked with uh, Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer, and Andy Bitter, um, who covers Virginia Tech for the Athletic, to, to do a story sort of on the transfer portal. I don't know if that was one of those 18 stories I sent you. It may not have been, but we were sort of. Yeah, yeah, I think so grading grading the winners and losers of the transfer portal and I and I like to do it more from the perspective of not what 247 sports says your transfer classes is, is ranked because in Florida State's case they're number five or were number five in the country at last check um, that doesn't mean necessarily they had a great transfer portal because it's all based on who you lose right who you lose through the portal what you bring in but so I, I started these sort of big roster breakdowns I ended up doing it for like six ACC teams and now I'm sort of Venturing into the rest of Miami schedule and I'm going to do it for the whole conference because I feel like there's so many different stories you can get out of this stuff. But looking at Miami's roster in particular, um, I know Miami fans are, are super excited. They're, they're like, man, we got Mario Cristobal now. Uh, there's no reason they can't win 10, 11 games, win the ACC and go to the college football playoff. Right. Some people are actually thinking that already. But look, spring football starting March 7th, Carlos. Um, and I and I did a full roster breakdown. Um, you know, career snaps, played, starts, all of those things. Miami lost 17 players um, who were starters, double-digit starters in their college careers off of last year's team. And I know last year's team was seven and five, and and you're probably sitting there saying, well, it's good that Gervin Hall left, or it's good, I was tired of Bubba Bolden, or uh, thank God Jared Williams is gone. He wasn't that great anyway. Um, But the reality is Miami's roster is going to look a lot different, and there's not a lot in the way of experience sort of waiting in the wings spring football starting week from now, I know you got a chance to read that story. What's kind of on your mind when you look at this Miami roster and do you think it's ready, ready to win an ACC championship next year?
2: I think there's, there's a, a lack of experience and a lack of snaps. But if you saw at the end of last season, when they were playing their best down the stretch, the ones that were leading that charge were the young guys, obviously, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, And we've got a, uh, you know, a third year quarterback now who's coming off a a season where he was just on a tear ending that season with six straight games of over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Um, So to me, I think there is enough talent to at least compete for the ACC title. They should get to the ACC title game. Um, And in my opinion, at least I think they should have enough to get there. I think the question is how how much of a leap can they take this coming season? I think it's interesting that a lot of the guys are young uh, that we're going to be counting on that didn't play a lot of snaps. And I think that's going to actually be an easier transition than having a roster full of veterans who have been accustomed to playing a certain way on offense and defense with a new staff. I think it's pretty much open season now in terms of competition across the board. And everyone's learning at the same pace because it's a new system and nobody's had that old system really ingrained in them for so long that they can't really adapt to the new system. Uh, we're also going to see which guys are able to adjust to the new culture, the new expectations, uh, the new accountability by this new staff. And I think really the most concerning part is uh, what are we going to do there on that defensive side of the ball when it comes to linebacker and, and defensive back, especially a corner? Um, I think the offensive line also needs to take a step forward. Um, like we talked about earlier, they did a good job of pass protecting, especially towards the, the, the latter half of the season. Um, but the run game, especially over the last five, six years, ever since Mark Rick came here uh, till now, has not has been non-existent. Really, their run blocking has been terrible. It's been one of the worst in the in, in the in the conference year in and year out. Uh, hopefully, Alex Mirabal, with his expertise and his ability to get the most he can out of, out of the offensive line, can do that. And we'll see what the new bodies that he's mixed in here with the transfer from Oregon. Uh, if, you know, with John Campbell coming back from injury, Jalen Rivers coming back, we'll see if any of the young guys pop like a Ryan Rodriguez and maybe a, a McLaughlin and see who steps in there and can, and can be a force or Isaiah Walker from day one. I think if they are able to at least be slightly better than they were last year, they should be about 10 and two. Um, like we saw last year, there were a couple plays away from getting 10 wins. Um, they weren't the most disciplined football team over the last few years. I think that'll change this season. I think they have enough talent on the roster to compete for an ACC title. The question is, you know, how far uh, is there? How far are they able to leap forward in this first year?
1: Yeah, and and, and that's going to be the the interesting part. And I can tell you, based on, on on conversations I've had with different staffers, and and you know, since Mario got the job, it's quite evident that up front on the offensive and defensive line, he views it. Having been at Oregon and, and produced guys like Kayvon Thibodeau and Panay Sewell. And, and coaching in Alabama when they won championships, he knows this is not a championship-level offensive or defensive line yet. In a lot of ways, they're yep. still very finesse. Um, and, and you know, getting knocked back on their asses, uh, all that kind of stuff, that has to change. And, and you go back to Miami's national championship-winning teams, no, they didn't have um, first-round picks on the offensive line all over the place. But um, they had quality, high-quality college offensive linemen who did play in the pros, and – um, you know, this group outside of Zion Nelson, I don't know that you have a bona fide NFL player on the offensive line. And then on the flip side on the defensive line, you don't have any proven elite pass rushers. You don't have a Jalen Phillips or a Gregory Rousseau. Um, and so those are two areas where I think in the transfer portal, if they can find somebody and that's an obviously that's obviously a hard thing to do because. Those two positions, I mean, those are prized possessions, right? We saw what Jermaine Johnson did when he went to Florida State, and we know that they're going to take a big hit having lost him and Kier Thomas, their two bookends off last year's team. That's going to affect them. Um, It's not easy to find those guys in the transfer portal, Um, and – Uh, I think in in, in Miami's case, those are still two areas I look at this roster and I say if they're going to if they're going to win a championship, they still have a long way to go. And that's those are my words. I think that's Mario Cristobal. And those are based on his actions and and the way that he's recruited, trying to improve those two positions uh, or two position groups. Um, As far as the cornerback position is concerned, I know you mentioned that a little while ago. Um, Look, I, I think the biggest issue for Miami is, is going to be the health of a guy like Tyreek Stevenson. You know, he had surgery in the offseason for that shoulder. Um, he's probably not going to be around this spring. It's this to Corey couch, DJ Ivy, Marcus Clark, or Al blades, which of those guys comes in and plays like a real number two DJ Ivy finished last season strong over the last three games. He looked, he looked like a different player after he, if he was benched Um couch, I don't know what it was. It looked like he lost his confidence a little bit. Marcus Clark had his moments, But that without question is going to be when spring football starts a position. I think everybody looks at and says, can Miami develop the kind of players that they need there? Um, Because you have to cover well. You have to do well in coverage. You can't blow assignments, especially if you don't have elite pass rushers. Um, You know, is the potential there for Miami with some elite pass rushers? Sure. I think a guy like Cyrus Moss uh, and Nigel Lee Kelly, the two recruits in this last cycle, two top 100 players that came in that have big bodies. Um, I think they can develop into that. I like I like a kid like Elijah Roberts. I think Chance Williams has potential. Jafari Harvey does, but again, we've seen some of these guys come in play a little bit here, um, and they haven't produced. Jafari Harvey's played uh, 691 snaps, and I think let me see if I had his career total here for sacks. I don't think I do. Like I really five? Had, yeah, I think I think he had two and a half last year. Um, Chance Williams had two and a half last. I mean, that's not that's not good enough. That's rotational type talent. That's not frontline elite talent. And that's why Miami went out and they got a Jake Lichtenstein who had four sacks and could, could be a good run stuffer, a kid out of USC who's a graduate transfer. But again, you're, you're not dealing with game changers on your defense. And that's something that Kevin Steele um, and Miami's coaching staff is going to have to figure out here uh, before I think they can compete and win an ACC championship and get to the playoff.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, Mario's addressing that. Uh, not just through the portal, but he's in this recruiting cycle. He really went hard after offensive and defensive linemen. He's continuing to do that. He wants to build an SEC-level roster, and he's starting with those lines of scrimmage because he sees that's where you really win or lose games. If you saw Georgia in that title game, they started imposing the rule in Alabama with their offensive and defensive lines, and that's how Georgia won every game during the the regular season. They started beating people up up front and just was pounding them into submission. And they just could not handle the, sport, the brute force of Georgia on both lines of scrimmage. Um, those two things really make up for a lot of deficiencies if you don't have the skills on the back end on the defense or the skill position players on offense, especially a quarterback to try and make plays. Luckily, Miami has that, but we're deficient in those lines. Um, I, I think the other thing is the reason why he's building out that way is because on offense, it doesn't matter how many skill position players you have, how talented they are, and how great your play caller is. If you can't block, you're not running anything doesn't matter. Nothing's going to work. Uh, just like on defense, you can have the greatest scheme ever. But if your defensive line isn't up there controlling the offensive line and be able to, to allow the linebackers to flow to the football and make plays and not getting beaten back five yards on every run, then you're not going to win. It doesn't make a difference if you're, if you're getting beat up up front. So Mario's starting the foundation of this team right where it belongs up front and building out from that. And I think it's also a mental and cultural thing Uh, That he wants to instill in the program that we're going to be tough, that we're going to be physical and we're not just going to win based on finesse. We're going to physically impose our will on teams. And that started from the workouts uh, to now the way he's recruiting and hopefully on through with the system, because that's that's the kind of system that Gattis runs in terms of his run game is physical power run game. And Kevin Steele's defenses have been physical and well coached for a long time.
1: By the way, I, I, I said I, I told you I was breaking down these rosters of the other ACC teams and, you know, for, for the transfer portal story. And I've, I've been doing these deep dives into everybody else in the ACC. And I will tell you, I, I, as far as I'm concerned in, in the regular season schedule and, and, and against the Coastal Division, there really is only one team that I still think can beat Miami next year. And that's Pittsburgh. It, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I know they lost Kenny Pickett. And I know people are going to say, well, they, they lost all these sixth and seventh year guys. They still have a boatload of sixth- and seventh-year guys on their defense. And Keaton Slovis is a good quarterback. He is, and and he's played a lot. He played a lot at USC. I know he lost his starting job. Uh, I was talking to Kelvin Harris earlier today, and he says, oh, they're going to be bad. You know, Pitt's not going to be as good as they were. Slovis isn't as good as Pickett and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, look, uh, they they have a good roster on paper as far as experience coming back. Uh, That is the one team that I sit there and I say, Last game of the regular season, the Coastal Division could very well come down to Miami beating Pitt at home. Um, but they have a good team. Uh, the rest, Georgia Tech. I mean, they, 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 Jeff Collins is very much on the hot seat, even though they played Miami tough last year. Uh, they, they lost Jameer Gibbs, their best player on offense. They lost arguably the best defensive player in Ivy, who uh, transferred to an SEC program. Um, Virginia's down. They lost a boatload of offensive linemen. Uh, Virginia lost Tech. Lost coach. Yeah lost their coach, um, but their quarterbacks back, but I mean, they, they just, they, they really lost a lot of personnel to the portal. Virginia tech with Brent pry. Um, they don't scare me on paper. I still think that they don't have the, the quarterback that they need to win the, to, to win the division. Um, you know, North Carolina obviously has been a thorn in Miami side for a while now, but they've got to replace their quarterback who's gone to the NFL um, and, and, you know, as well as some, some weapons on offense. So, I, you know, I'm going to come out with a story at some point, sort of rat ranking the opponents once I'm done with this, because I, I really am doing like a real investigative type thing on every opponent. I want to be smart when I talk about these guys, not just go off of whatever's available on the Internet. Um, I, I think I think they're in prime position to win. Miami's in prime position, but it's still not going to be easy. Uh, I think Texas a and and Clemson are obviously the two games where they won't be favored. But, um, you know, when, when people start talking about the 2022 season and what Mario can do. You know, I think nine, ten wins is certainly attainable, uh, Carlos, I think, without question.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, Pitt is probably going to be one of the toughest uh, teams on the schedule in terms of the ACC. I think you always got to watch out for Florida State just because it's a rivalry game. uh, They've done well in the transfer portal, and we'll see how those guys adapt to Florida State when they get there. Um, And North Carolina, although they lost, you know, Sam Howell, uh, they got to see how they replace that. That huge hole of a guy who started for them for three years and been an excellent quarterback. But they still have talent on the roster and and they've they've consistently out recruited Miami over the last few years since Mac Brown's gotten there. Uh, so they have talent. Then, then let's see how that translate translates onto the field. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's it's all in Miami's hands. Everything's in front of them. Whatever everything they want in terms of getting to a conference championship and playing for one is in their hands. Um, you know, and again, that Texas AM game really doesn't matter. It's it's one of those measuring stick games to see where you are as a program, how far you've come and to see if you can com- compete with an SEC big boy. But it doesn't make a difference in terms of the long-term vision of the, of the season. Uh, that Clemson game really is more important. To see where you are against the conference goliath, the, the conference champion over the last few years, except for last year, to see where if you can really get over that hump and become a, a real title contender. Um, and at the end of the day, I think I think they have enough on the roster to do it. I think Mario Cristobal is a good enough coach to do it. I think they have enough uh, on the staff to be able to push these guys to get it done. But like we always see, man, it's it's always hit or miss. And even Mario in his time at Oregon has had his slip-ups where he loses to a team that she, he has no business losing to, like Stanford last year. Um, so we'll see. College football is unpredictable. At the end of the day, it's all going to come down to you know health. Can they stay healthy throughout the year? Can they maximize their talent? Can they, can they get more out of their frontline guys? And can those guys be dependable? Uh, like we saw last year, there was a lot of guys that we counted on We thought we're going to be frontline guys that we thought we're going to have great seasons and just completely shit the bed and took a step back. Uh, And we had injury issues with Derek King losing Cam Harris. And it got to the point where it was like you were scrambling to see who you can get on the roster and get on the field. Uh, Poor Jalen Knighton was being run into the ground because there was really no one behind him that was ready to take the ball. Um, So we'll see how it goes this year in terms of those things. It's not just about what you have on paper. It's about how it plays out through the season, how fortunate you are from a health standpoint.
1: That's blue nile.com. Absolutely. Um, Max Olson, who, who also is another colleague of mine at The Athletic, does a terrific series. I don't know if you got a chance to read this story, Carlos, or not, but basically looking back at the 2018 uh, signing classes. And I mentioned this yes, that other- was article
2: number 75 out of the <laughs> 107.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and just about Georgia, who won the national championship. And, you know, to me, you know, you got it. You obviously got to hit on elite players. You got to have top ranked classes every single year. And, and this was this is when they finally broke through. Twenty eighteen is when they ended Alabama's run um, as far as being the number one recruiting class in the country. And of course, four years later, they won the championship. Miami still hasn't gotten to that point um, with recruiting, and which is why Manny Diaz has gone in part, which is why Mark Richt failed, uh, which is why Al Golden failed. They never really were able to get a hold of the recruiting. I think I think to me, this is the first time in a long time that I have the confidence that a coach at Miami in Mario Cristobal could potentially have the number one recruiting class in the country uh, or could have a top five recruiting class consistently where you're going to have enough talent uh, accumulation where you can do what Georgia and Alabama have done, which is compete in the playoff year in and year out uh, and win championships. And so this article uh, by Max Olson, which um, you know you can read it at The Athletic, I kind of did a spinoff article looking back. And I, and I do this every year since I've been working for The Athletic where I kind of do a, a spin backwards. And, you know, Miami's class in 2018 was the greatest class in Miami had science since 2008 when they had Corey Harris and Sean Spence and all those great players out of Northwestern High School. It's the highest ranked class, eighth overall in the 247 sports composite. And my article today kind of looks back at that. And, it, and, it, and at the end of the article, it kind of provides a little bit of a history uh, to the last couple of years. But my favorite stat in all of this, Carlos, is called hit rate. And, and, and what I mean by that is how many guys that Miami recruits actually stay on for four years, right? And they don't leave the program before that or they, or they you know, transfer or injury and all that kind of stuff. And if you look at the hit rate for Miami here for 2018, it's 65%. They had a four-year record of 28 and 21. Um, you go to 2017, you have 72%. That was pretty good. That team went 31 and 19. Um, 2016, 59%. They went 32 and 20. 2015 65 percent in the end we, we we all get sort of juiced up for these recruiting classes but the reality is now if you look at it on average you're only keeping 60% of these recruiting classes for all four And now years. here's a
2: homework assignment for you have yes. you looked at the college football playoff finalists and seen what their hit rate is
1: yes and you and you go back and you look Damn you you go back and you look and it's and it's and it's, Thought it's I had you it, no well you go back and you look and it's a little better than that uh, usually it's in the 70 percentile Um, and, 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 and more importantly, they're hitting on elite players. When you look at Miami's class. Okay. I re-ranked the third out of, out of the 23 kids that they signed in 2018, 15 spent at least four years at Miami or left the school early to enter the NFL. That's a hit, right? When a guy leaves early to go to the NFL and they get to the NFL, that's a hit. You got full production out of him. Well, I I re-ranked the recruits. Okay. And, And we, and we'll go down this pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, and we can stop wherever you want to stop. But, you know, you, you, you talk about hits. Did you get what you want out of a player? Well, number one, Gregory. So you did. He turned into a uh, he went from a three star recruit to a five star because he was a first round pick. OK, um, Revin Jordan. He came in as a four star. He was a Mackey Award finalist. All ACC first team in 2019. Uh, productive for three years. Fifth round pick of the Texans. He's a four star. He, he came in a four star. He left the four star. Um, DJ Scaife, he's come in he started 40 games in his career at Miami okay multiple year starter all ACC second team last year came in a four star he's leaving a four star will Mallory tight end 28 career starts um, 73 catches a thousand six yards 11 touchdowns in 46 games he's going to be the starter again next year we hope he has a good year he'll probably get drafted if he has a good year he came in a four star he's leaving a four star now after those four guys, Carlos, you go down the list and you say, well, how many of those guys lived up to their expectations?
2: Yeah, that thing falls off a cliff.
1: <laughs> Cameron Harris, okay, came in a four star. Served as a full time starter only for one year in his career, which was 2020. He was a 10 game starter. He started six games last year before he got hurt and three in in twenty uh, in, in 2019. Um. We, we have him leaving as a three-star because he didn't really, I mean, he, he was a full-time starter for one year, but parts of the others averaged 5.3 yards of carry. When did Cam Harris push Miami over the top? Was there ever a moment w- during his career where he, where you really felt like he was a huge difference maker?
2: He was not. I think uh, the game that sticks out to me is a UBA, UAB game back in 2020. I think that might've been his best performance outside of that. He was more known for uh, being taken down on first contact and never really finding holes Uh, As a running back, I thought he was okay, but he was never really special. Right.
1: Uh, Nessa Silvera, uh, four star defensive tackle, number 54 overall recruit in the 2018 247 composite. We we adjusted ranking as a three. He started 18 games, including eight this past season over 41 games. Um, He produced two sacks in his entire career at Miami.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's a defensive tackle. But still, I mean, Nesta was very up and down. I think he was uh, he was a guy that would seem to save his energy for the fourth quarter. Uh, in some games, he would just save his energy for the entire game. Um, either Nesta was, would disappear for the entirety of a game and pop up in the fourth quarter, or you just wouldn't see him at all. And I think it was very rare that you would see Nesta Silvera dominate from start to finish. You thought he would be like another Gerald Willis, and he just never got there.
1: DJ Ivey. We talked about him losing his starting job this year. He's got 21 career starts at Miami, 89 tackles, a sack, 10 PBUs, and four interceptions. Um, Last season, among 53 cornerbacks in the ACC, 150 snaps in pass coverage, he graded out 21st, according to Pro Football Focus. So, right in the middle, mediocre. He was a four star recruit coming in. Basically, that that tells me
2: that the the, the ACC uh, DBs were pretty bad last year.
1: Yeah. Uh, He's in the middle. Al Blades. A uh, four-star recruit came in. We, leave, we have him as a three-star record, recruit leaving, even though he's still on the team next year, him and DJI. Blade started 14 games between the 2019 to 20 seasons, lost his starting job, then had the myocarditis and, and his groin injury. Again, you know, you can talk about recruiting and getting stars and this and that, and all oh, Miami's expectations, but some of this ultimately player development and, and, and luck, health. bad luck, health. Um, but again, these exercises of going back four years and, and sort of recapping it, I think looking at it from sort of the blimp view, I I, I think it provides you with good perspective. It shows you that, Hey, your expectations coming in, this is what it was. And this is what, what, what Miami ultimately produced out of these guys. It's a good way to. sort. And I think it it also shows that the elite
2: teams can overcome the misses um, and overcome the bad luck because they have enough talent and depth on the roster that the next man up is just as good or better when they step in there.
1: Right. And that's what you need. Gervin hall is another one here. Started 18 games at Miami, including the first four of the 2021 season before he was benched. And now he's at uh, Utah state. Gilbert Frierson, uh, four came in a four star. He started 11 games in 2020, 15 career starts overall. But really, I mean, he's been a reserve for the most part. He kind of plays some games, kind of plays the other, uh, doesn't play the others. Uh, D. Wiggins and Mark Pope are next on the list. Do we even have to go in there? Um, yeah, they, those are those are like Voldemort. Those I shall not be named. <laughs> Jordan Miller, key rotational player. He's got two career starts, seven hundred and four career snaps, but he's a backup. He's a, he's a rotational piece. He came yeah. in as a three star. Ultimately, you'd like to get more out of a guy like him, but he's he is what he is. Uh, John Campbell injured. He's a, he came in a three star. We have him ranked to two. Um, he'll have a chance to jump back into rotation, but he's only had six career starts at Miami. And Then the last one, Cleveland Reed, who was a four-star, uh, number 259 overall, he's played a grand total of 78 snaps over 11 games. Those guys are considered hits, Carlos, okay? Just yeah. because they've been on the roster for at least four years and haven't left before becoming grad transfers. Um, oh, when they're-, they're clearly misses from a performance standpoint. Yeah. And then you have eight eight others that are Mrs. Jaron Williams, who's now at Alabama A&M after his third school, Brian Hightower, um, who, who was here for a couple of years uh, in, in a couple of seasons at, at Illinois. He's got 11 catches for 209 yards, <laughs> uh, setting he, the world on fire, setting over Bubba Bax is the kickoff specialist now at Houston. Uh, Patrick Joyner is actually the one guy who had a good year. He made eight starts for, for uh, Utah State last year. Going over there with Ephraim Bandy at 29 tackles, seven and a half for loss, three and a half sacks and a safety. He was an eight game starter. Uh, Lorenzo Lingard, the five star. Um, he's been at Florida. He's appeared in 22 games, no starts, 16 carries for 75 yards and no scores. I mean, Lingard, it- just complete bust. Marquez Ezard back in the transfer portal after uh, a year and a game at Georgia Tech. He left after one game this year. Uh, nine catches, 124 yards and, nor, and no scores in nine games at Georgia Tech. Realist George, the fullback. He's at Missouri now, uh, appeared in eight games last year, had eight tackles. He's a defensive tackle now. He's moved from fullback. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, he's a D tackle now. And then Nigel Bethel Jr., who was a three-star, left Miami uh, after a very short time, went to Colorado, sat out 2019 because of NCAA transfer rules. Uh, he's He played in six games last year with one start, had nine tackles, two pass breakups. So, you know, that, go back and look at it. That was Miami's best class in a decade. And you say, well, why are they still seven and five? Why are they why are they happy to win eight games? Because you're not hitting, you're not really hitting what you should with some of these classes. Yep, absolutely. And it's not just a talent acquisition.
2: It's the acquisition and development. And if you're not, and, and it starts really before the acquisition in the talent evaluation. Right. If you aren't evaluating talent properly, if you're not IDing, the kind of guys that you want and need to fill out your roster and fit your system, then when you get them on campus, it's not going to work anyway. And I think Miami's also had a lot of issues with their systems transitioning and and having guys on the roster that maybe could have been better, but were caught in between that system shift and didn't fit. Um, but at the end of the day, if you've got guys that can play, and you got guys that can be molded and developed, you're going to win. And you have to have – The opportunity with a coach that knows what they're doing and knows how to bring guys along to fit any system to be able to coach and communicate, which I think Mario really strongly believes in being able to communicate and teach. Uh, If you could do that, you can get you can maximize player player uh, development and, and get the most out of them.
1: All right, I want to get to the mailbag, and we got to wrap this up because as you're sitting there waiting for your daughter to get out of karate classes, I got to go to an open house for my oldest, who's going to be going to middle school Ooh. this year. So, oh no, yes, we're gonna oh try, no. we're gonna try to get to as many of these mailbag questions as possible. So if we don't, I apologize. We'll have another podcast next week uh, where we tackle more of this stuff. All right, number one, this is from Nick Strong, Ky Kane, 23 on Twitter. What's the rumor on the new locker rooms? If true, um. What what time time wise, uh, when are they looking to be done? I don't have a, a projected timeline on that. I know from my previous interview with Rudy Fernandez, which you guys can listen to here. He talked about the upgrades to the locker room and the facilities overall. I think there's going to be an expansion overall of the Heck Center uh, as far as you know, weight room. I think the field may even get expanded beyond 70 yards. All that stuff wow. That's in the process of being done. Um, and what try- I want to know is,
2: are they going to do like an MTV crib style, uh, like show off, like walkthrough of the locker room and you're going to see like a, a big huge jacuzzi in the middle of the locker room and you're going to have like a like a sort of a the old Marlins statue that would spin around when they would hit a home run. Maybe have one of those with Sebastian and the Ibis. I want to see all kinds of crazy stuff like that.
1: I, I agree. I'd love to see that. But, I you know, ultimately, Mario is so serious about winning. I don't I don't think he wants any clown show type stuff. It, it's, it may be a hey, check out our new facilities. But it's, I don't think it's going to be like all kinds of uh, I don't know. Like I don't I don't think there's going to be a cafecito machine in there or any any of the stuff. You know? Oh, I can
2: guarantee you there's going to be a cafecito machine or
1: a croqueta. Vendor. I can guarantee you there might
2: be a I can guarantee you there's probably going to be a carreta inside the locker room that services
1: <laughs> just the coaches, just the coaches, but not the players. Um, no, no, no. All right. This is from Julian Morales uh, on Twitter. What is the status of Ed Reed? Is he still on staff? What's the deal with that? All right. I I don't know. Um, We haven't officially been told anything regarding Ed Reed. I think, you know, his role as it was with Manny Diaz and a lot of these former players, I can tell you this, you know, a guy like Alonzo Highsmith. Okay. He's going to be on staff. I can tell you that Uh, they're, they're creating a GM type role for him. Um, Ed Reed, chief of staff. I I think it's ultimately up to Ed and and, and Mario. Do they do they sit? Do they kind of vibe on the same page? Is that going to happen going forward? I don't know. In the end, all of those guys are just support staff. I don't see them as huge people impacting the. Directly impacting the results on the field. I think they help in the perimeter and in the periphery, but, you know, to have Ed Reed back, it'd be great if he isn't back. You know, Ed can do a lot of things with his life. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of difference. No, it doesn't make a whole lot
2: because at the end of the day, I don't think I don't think Ed's schedule and the way he wanted to uh, work in this role is going to match Mario's way of being. Mario wants if he's going to use a role, uh, a position on someone, whether it be staff or support staff, he wants that person committed 100 percent. And Ed just can't do that just based on all the things he's got going on.
1: All right. This is uh, from our friend uh, Larry Schender. Um, Miami media associates on Twitter has Raul had coffee at Versailles with Mario, Mario yet. Uh, not that I'm
2: aware of, but I'm pretty sure Raul would love that. I don't know if Mario would, but if they want to set it up, we could absolutely
1: do that. Okay. Uh, another question here from Larry on a serious note, will TBD thrive in a coach Gaddis system?
2: Absolutely. I think TBD is going to benefit a lot, not just from Gaddis, but from Frank Ponce's development. I think what you're going to see this season from TBD is the ability, even more so than last year, to be able to make big plays in the passing game because they'll have a stronger running game and the ability to use play action, which will give them more opportunities to go one-on-one on the outside. Because at the end of the day, when you're when you're trying to stop the run as a defense, you could do it one of two ways. One, you could run blitz, which means you're going to anticipate which gap that run is going to come through, so you're going to blitz somebody in that gap. Or two, you bring somebody else down into the box to try and load it, to try and stop the offense from being able to gain an advantage a numbers advantage in the run game, which leaves you with a disadvantage on the back end, usually with one high safety. Uh, and I think Miami will, will take advantage of that. I know Josh Gaddis did a great job of doing that in Michigan last year. He just didn't have the quarterback to really execute it the way he wanted to. But boy, is he going to have it this year?
1: Yeah, I think play action is going to be a big part of this and getting, getting defenses to bite and go over the top, um, which leads into the next question. Who is your best guess to be wide receiver one next year to make up for the loss of Charleston Rambo? Um, I'm going to say Keyshawn Smith, and I know. I agree. I, I know people that are going to say, "Well, what about Frank Latson from Clemson?" I look. Frank Latson's is going to be given every opportunity. Frank Latson just hasn't been healthy enough throughout his career in college to be counted on. And I think um, while it's great that Miami got him, and he's and he's you know certainly a game breaker type talent, uh, you you have to hope that he has sort of a Charleston Rambo rejuvenation here uh, next season and that uh, Gaddis gets him playing at the highest level possible. I think Keyshawn Smith uh, with the mm-hmm. physical tools that he has, his leaping ability, the ability to get open deep. I, I think he's going to be the wide receiver one um, and a guy that I've been very high on since the moment Miami got him Um You can go back and read some of those future stories that I wrote on him uh, before he became a twelve game starter this season. Uh, Just a good player, I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah, he started
2: to come on at the end of the game, at the end of the season last year. You saw him against Pitt. You saw him in some other instances where he started to make plays. Um, And I think he really has the tools to put it all together. I just think you know Ramble took up so much of that offense in terms of the passing game last year, and Harley that uh, the opportunities were few and far between. I think he's he's going to have a really good season. He's going to be very explosive. I think you're also going to see a bigger role for Brashard Smith. Uh, I think Gaddis is going to find a way to get him the ball because he's he's just dynamite every time he touches the ball. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they use those three running backs in, in Knighton, Chaney and Parrish moving forward.
1: And I think Chavante Citizen will play a role as well, uh, especially the way morrow has been talking him up. But we'll see. Um, all right. This is from uh, Canes fan dude crystal ball on Twitter. What positions do you think we need to tackle in the portal? Ha ha tackle. Um, I, I think linebacker without question, if you can find one of those guys, you know, there were a couple of linebackers who moved around in the ACC upon my research here, the Noah Taylor kid, who was a Virginia 12 game starter. He's at North Carolina. That was a huge pickup for North Carolina. And one of those guys, you say, shit, Miami should have tried to get this guy. Um, but he, he, Noah Taylor came over from Virginia too. Uh, North Carolina, he's going to be their one of their main linebackers next, this year starting. And then Tatum Bethune is another one who, le- who led UCF in tackles, ended up um, at FSU um, at, at positions where they already had some starters coming back. So um, I, I think, you know, you talk about that whole concept of blocking uh, another team, right, from getting a position that they need. Uh, yep. I, I think Miami did that by getting uh, – citizen chavante citizen in 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 recruiting and i think these schools north carolina florida state did that by getting some good linebackers that were available they're hard to find i'll tell you that um all yeah, right. and i think i think also mario wants to look at what he's got on the
2: roster uh on field before he, he makes any decision on on that position and really give kevin Steele the opportunity to see if he, get, he feels he can develop any of these guys into something else because it's a new system
1: yep all right I, I, i'm gonna wrap it up with that i know we got to get going um yeah, the rest of these, is I'm sifting through it, I can see are very, very uh, similar to other questions been asked. Oh, here we go. This is from Connor, 65471489. For the guys missing the fourth quarter program through injury, do we have any insight as to how they will make that up when they return? Also, wouldn't mind a breakdown of what the fourth quarter program entails. All I can say about the fourth quarter program is, from my understanding, all the lifting, all the exercises, all the running, all this, everything that they're doing is geared towards football. There's more of a football feel to what those guys are doing versus just sitting there doing heavy weight and so forth. I, I told you guys before that the new, the new strength staff, Aaron Feld, they're going to be really creative with some of the things that we're going to have these guys doing. Um, I don't have exact details of what it is. I haven't been able to, to, to watch any of those workouts, but I've been told that f- from the player's perspective, it is much more of a football-type field. things that they feel will be helpful on the field.
2: Yep. All right. And I think it's one of those things where they're they're implementing exercises and movements instead of just straight sprints or, you know, just regular plyometrics. They are incorporating movements that they would normally have to do on the field throughout the course of a game within that conditioning structure to make it more, um, you know, football specific and get them more functional strength and speed in the areas they need it.
1: Carlos, I appreciate it, uh, brother. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Want to give the Twitter address again? It's El Ledo
2: 1307 E-L-L-E-D-O 1307 My podcast is the MIA All Day podcast I also have a Twitter account for that But I generally only tweet the the episodes there It's at MIA All Day Um, I hope to see you again soon I hope it's not another six months before my next appearance
1: I will uh,
2: (laughs) I will uh, await by the phone
1: and see well, what happens. Well, I, I'm going to try to get you on now more often here in the summertime. Whenever I have a chance to get some of these guests on to talk specifically about a subject, I always try to get them on. I also have some interviews that I've already done with several Miami recruits who are, who are coming into Miami uh, or already enrolled that I had recorded earlier. So I'm going to run some of those episodes here in, in, in the uh, weeks and months ahead here as we, as we get into the offseason. But March 7th, First day of spring practice Uh, spring game is going to be April 16th at the DRV Pink uh, Stadium, uh, the soccer stadium up in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, So a lot of things ahead this weekend. I'm actually going to be at the Under Armour next camp where there's going to be a boatload of Miami 2023 targets and players locally from 24 and 25. So I'm going to go talk to some of those kids. Uh, and, and write something off of that on Sunday at Ives Estates Park. And and so I, and Carlos, I'm looking to, to travel a little bit. Mario Cristobal, I think March 1st is going to be at uh, Lakeland uh, Lake Gibson High School, which is where Cormani McLean, the uh, elite five star cornerback. Uh, what a coincidence. Yeah. What a coincidence. He's going to be the guest speaker there. So I may I may drive up to Lakeland. There's uh there's a there's another under 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 Armour camp in the Atlanta area the following weekend that I'm thinking about going because Georgia is such an important state now for Miami. A lot of kids in the Southeast will be going to attend that. Uh, So we'll see. I'm going to be busy here uh, in the off season, trying to be involved a lot more on the recruiting front because it is so important to Mario Cristobal and the staff. So we'll see, but uh, thanks for doing the podcast with me. We got to catch up again soon um, and, and have you on, but thanks for coming on again. My pleasure, man. The only thing I also request is that we have the three
2: Musketeers back together again. I want Kelvin to solve his technical issues, and we can all get back together again and discuss this upcoming spring game.
1: Okay, We're, uh, definitely, we'll have him come on and just say fifteen and zero.
2: Exactly, or or say, and or, or let us get fifteen words in edgewise between the three of us.
1: <laughs> That'll wrap it up, guys.